Welcome to the Elicit podcast from Cerner Invisa, which provides data-driven solutions and research expertise that helps bring remarkable clarity to healthcare's most important decisions. Produced in partnership with PharmaForum, this series of interviews focuses on driving change in patient behavior to elicit improvements in health outcomes. I'm Dominic Tyre, Creative and Editorial Director at PharmaForum. In this episode of the Elicit podcast, my guests are Professor Fung Lei from the National University of Singapore and Cerner Invisa's Jeanette Hodgson, Marjorie Leclerc, Regina Gowinda and Yu Ying-Ye. Fung Lei is Principal Investigator and Research Assistant Professor at the Department of Psychological Medicine at the National University of Singapore. He has published over 120 research publications and is currently the Vice President of the Society of Behavioural Health at Singapore and also Co-Chair of the Consortium for the Study of Cognitive Aging in Chinese. Jeanette Hodgson is the Global Head of Qualitative Strategy at Cerner Invisa with a remit to consolidate, develop and promote qualitative expertise. She has over 25 years experience of global strategic market research and consultancy, mostly from a healthcare perspective, but also from within the consumer environment. Marjorie Leclerc has over 20 years experience in qualitative research for the healthcare sector and has specialized for the last seven years in qualitative research applied to real world evidence generation. Her work relies mainly on social and behavioral science. She also leads Cerner Invisa's Real World Qualitative Initiative and is part of its Rare Disease Task Force. Regina Gowinda leads innovative qualitative approaches and behavioral science for the APAC region and has over 20 years of marketing insights and analytics experience. She has held senior positions in both market inside consultancies and global pharmaceutical companies such as Takeda and Teva Pharmaceuticals. Yu Ying-Ye is a behavioral science specialist with over four years of experience in health research and consultancy. Prior to that, her time with Singapore General Hospital and Singapore's Agency for Integrated Care helped build her expertise in understanding patient and healthcare provider behavior. I'd like to start with you first. Uh, can you tell us why qualitative real-world evidence is so important to pharma? Thank you, Dominique. And th- this is indeed a, a key question. Qualitative evidence is increasingly valued due to the need to understand attitudes, decisions and preferences beyond existing quantitative evidence. And including qualitative research broaden the evidence base of uh, medicine and healthcare. Qualitative evidence is expressed in terms of the meaning of acts or events, and this can contribute, for instance, to improve guidelines, to shape policy, to shape practice. The reward landscape has changed, and the focus is now on incorporating the perspective of patients into the development of drugs. Qual gives voices to end users like patients, like carers, and the general public. So the benefits obtained are shaped and informed by the people it will directly affect. There is also a growing body of evidence of the benefits of patient involvement to inform clinical design and practices. For instance, uh, initiatives from the FDA, the PFDD, the Patient Focused Drug Development, 
um, also the clinical trial transformation initiatives. Uh, you also have the um, UPT, uh, Euro, that stands for, for European Patients Academy on Therapeutic Innovations, among others. And they all aim to build practical frameworks to guide patient engagement because poor clinical study experiences can hinder recruitment and retention, which can then lead to study delays and increased costs. And, and Jeanette, what are your thoughts on the importance of qualitative real-world evidence to pharma? Yes, absolutely. So, so I guess building on what Marjorie has just said, um, as with all evidence-based approaches, the meaning of the data is important for, for both our clients and health authorities. The issue has really been that traditionally research methods too often allow us to see only a small part of the whole. The focus has been on big data, but we often lack that smaller, thicker data to explain it. And this qualitative thicker data is particularly important in the context of patients and carers. It captures patients' narratives of their lived experiences through granular, thicker descriptions of their personal accounts. And these narratives help us understand the meaning of their behaviour, the drivers to their decision making and actions. And so it's a perfect complement to the numbers which are generated in quantitative research. Simply put, it provides the how and the why behind the what. And the narratives that qualitative research generate allow researchers to understand people. We gain insights into the way they discuss, relate to and behave in relation to their conditions depending on their environment. And it also helps us understand the influence of events and situations, as well as participants' ideas and perceptions, their opinions, their values and beliefs. And the beauty of qualitative inquiry is that it also lends itself to a number of different approaches. These are largely supported by grounded theory, behavioural science, anthropology and psychology. So as core researchers, we're, we're fortunate to have a range of tools for eliciting and analysing data. So in that way, it's highly flexible and can readily be combined with other approaches. OK, thanks. And Regina, is there anything that you would add to that? Absolutely, Dominic. Um, as we know, patients are, in fact, people. Um, and what they tell us is not necessarily always the full story. Um, we can't, you know, simply make assumptions that uh, uh, what's driving people's behavior uh, or their preferences are exactly as as what, uh, you know, uh, they tell us directly. So we need to know and understand that for a variety of reasons, sometimes people just can't always tell us directly. Patients do have a lot more going on in their lives beyond just the medical aspects. Non-medical aspects also impact behavior and ultimately clinical outcomes. And we have to find ways to understand them better because they are increasingly important in the drug development process. As Jeanette just said, we do believe that the key to understanding the influences on experiences and decision-making is really to go and see beyond the illness or its treatment and instead focusing our attention on the individual as a person and not only as a patient. And in order to do this, we need to listen to people's personal stories and go beyond the standard question and answer based type of approaches. Thanks. So that's obviously a, a great introduction to qualitative real world data. Building on that then, Marjorie, what would you say are the criteria for good qualitative research? Well, 
currently it is surely more difficult to assess qualitative than quantitative research and simply because it, it's not yet a unified field however some quality criteria stand out such as uh, plausibility you have to ask yourself the question is the research plausible how trustworthy is it um, relevancy the research relevant to other situations other contexts consistency is the process consistent aligned transparency is the process visible and clearly described and also currency is the research timely appropriately situated in a in the contemporary debate I think rigor is critical and that in all the study steps from the research question definition to the analysis process. Guidance for reporting qualitative research also exists, such as the correct guidelines, for instance, the, that stands for a consolidated criteria for reporting qualitative research. It was developed uh, in 2007 by the University of Public Health. And to my knowledge, it is always well accepted if accurately presented in an article. Other guidelines exist and continuing education for both researchers and reviewers about the criteria appropriate for evaluating qualitative methodological frameworks is important as this field is evolving. Thanks. And, and Jeanette, uh, how important would you say it is for stakeholder preference studies to incorporate qualitative methods I mean, I would say very important, credible and defendable decisions on content supported by qualitative research are instrumental in creating the foundation of a successful study. If our goal is to generate findings which are meaningful, are a meaningful reflection of the voices of our target stakeholders. So qualitative approaches are recognised as essential in identifying which outcomes, endpoints or other attributes are valued most by stakeholders and which factors are going to affect perspectives on risk and benefit. And as we've said before, you know, there are many ways to elicit preference in qualitative work. Um, for example, we can go beyond standard question and answer based approaches to include enabling techniques which facilitate expression of subliminal drivers and these in turn obviously can be combined with other techniques such as rankings to to help identify prioritize and contextualize preferences and what about patient experience data then uh, marjorie can you tell us a bit about how that can be collected and how regulators view it well it is difficult to establish uh, dominica as, as we all said it it is a, an evolving field. Uh, now, for the FDA, for instance, patient experience data can usually take the form of patient-reported outcomes or other types of clinical outcomes assessments. Qualitative approaches form part of the data collection method. They recommend to provide supporting information in situations where the condition is not well characterized. But there's a high variability in FDA's use of this data, depending on the therapeutic area, among other things. Regulatory use qualitative patient uh, experience data as background and context for the review. So they view it as a rich complementary information. Many look forward to being able to work with more patient experience data as more fit for purpose tools are developed. And as it admits, uh, the industry and the regulatory bodies are in the middle of a learning curve in this matter. 
Professor Fung Lei, please can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Project Golden Years and its aim? Okay, I've been acting as an advisor for Project Golden Years. In my capacity as the Vice President of the Society of Bihar Health Singapore, to support Regina, Yingjie, and their team throughout the study. In NUS, my research focuses on prevention of cognitive decline and dementia. My studies identify associations between combined lifestyle factors and healthy aging among Chinese adults in the Singapore community, including an intervention-based dementia prevention program. Project Golden Years gave me an opportunity to share my interest and expertise in this area and contribute to the team's growing real-world qualitative evidence practice. We wanted to apply real-world qualitative approaches to gain a better understanding of attitudes, beliefs, and the motivations of patients and their caregivers. In the context of preventive approaches to Alzheimer's disease, hence the relevance of qualitative research to project golden years. We are delighted that this collaboration has resulted in a peer-reviewed publication to highlight opportunities for intervention to prevent mild cognitive impairment and dementia and help stakeholders such as the government and the medical community to evaluate current health initiatives and unmet needs that remain to be filled for the individuals and the community. Four key themes were identified which currently impede preventive action relating to dementia. So the first one, knowledge of brain health is basic and dementia denial is evident. The second one, Lack of understanding leads to stereotyping and discrimination. And the third one, stigma associated with mental health and help seeking is entrenched. And the last one, lack of clarity regarding when and how to act. Thank you. And Inge, you applied a behavior change framework to this work, COMB. Why did you choose to apply this framework and how did it help? As Professor Feng Lei mentioned, qualitative research allowed us to explore the knowledge, beliefs and behaviours of older Chinese adults on cognitive health and ageing, and we did so by employing a narrative interview method to optimise expression of their experiences and beliefs. In order to elicit intuitive responses and reveal hidden or subliminal motivators, we incorporated a number of projective and associative techniques which generated a wealth of rich data. Once we have elicited this broad discourse, we had to bring it all together to make sense of it, and we did so by organizing the responses into a framework, which has also guided the design of the research. We selected the COMB model, developed by University College London, which is an evidence-based model used extensively in behavior change interventions in scientific literature. We chose it to lend rigor to the design and analysis of our research by providing a comprehensive diagnosis of the factors influencing behavior. We then inserted specific questions to ensure we covered the three key dimensions impacting behavior, which is capability, opportunity, 
motivation, as well as their respective subdomains. So for capability, this is divided into physical and psychological capability, motivation into reflective and automatic motivation, opportunity, which is split into environmental and social opportunity. From the analysis of our findings in this manner, we were able to diagnose frictions and fuels to behavior, and from there identify areas requiring attention and action. Thanks, and I'd love to get some take-home messages about uh, Project Golden Years. Um, Regina, if I could ask you to go first, what, what were your take-home messages about the work? Yes, so uh, for us, it was uh, indeed a great privilege to be able to work alongside Professor Feng Lei in his capacity as the Vice President of the Society of Behavioral Health Singapore and as an advisor for Project Golden Years. And Professor, what, how about you? What were your take-home messages from Project Golden Years? It was my pleasure. The topic is extremely important, given the presence of dementia in Singapore among adults aged 60 and above is approximately 10%. And as of 2020, 15.2 of the resident population is aged 65 and above. A tsunami of dementia could be on its way, and numbers are projected to double by 2030, which would be costly for many patients and their families. So clearly, this is something that deserves considerable attention. Given that a substantial amount of research has focused on lay public's perceptions of cognitive health and aging in the Western context, we saw the need to consider the cultural nuances specific to Asian countries, like Singapore. As a population, we can't solely rely on health services to manage this. It will be important that we take measures with our own control to help mitigate our own risk and the society. This study acts as the first step in forming larger scale studies the understanding motivators and the barriers that would influence perceptions and motivations of older Chinese adults towards cognitive health and aging. Yes, and uh, just a point to add on to what Professor Feng Lei has just uh, talked about. Also, from a methodological point of view, this project was very, very satisfying for us um, using a variety of different projective and associative techniques. We were able to encourage free narrative and elicit intuitive responses uh, that helped us to reveal emotional and deeply seated motivators that would otherwise be largely unconscious. And bringing this together with the COMBI framework helped us to identify specific areas for actionable interventions. Finally then, Jeanette, can you tell us about the new Illicit newsletter? Yes, absolutely. Um, if any of our listeners have a specific interest in this topic and would like to read more about the work we conduct in this space, we'd be happy to forward an electronic version of our qualitative illicit magazine, Listen to Me, which is focused on exploring the voice of the patient in the real world space. And in the magazine, we share some of the ways we facilitate expression of patient experiences and perceptions, which get closer to those deeper insights than the existing methods and frameworks allow us to do. We discuss ways, in fact, of ensuring that we see the person behind the patient that we've discussed earlier. We've also included short audio and video clips to bring examples to life. 
Um, we also outlined five areas where qualitative research can support the work our clients are doing by adding rich granular data and valuable meaning to the quantitative data they may already hold. And in addition to this, we share overviews of case studies, including the Golden Year study that Regina and Professor Fenyi have just discussed. So if you'd like to download a copy of the magazine, you can find a link on the podcast landing page. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Elicit. My thanks to Professor Fung Lei, Jeanette Hodgson, Marjorie Leclerc, Regina Goinder, and Yu Ying Ye for joining me on the podcast. You've been listening to Elicit from Cerner in Visa. For all episodes and more information, visit pharmaforum.com forward slash podcast. <music>